Welcome, everyone. Uh, this is Jeff Cohn with the Wall Street Resource. Joining me is Jeremy Saboda, CEO of Perimeter Medical Imaging AI. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for having us. Oh, pleasure. So we had you on about six months ago, and we're going to want to hear you know, an update, what you're up to now. But for those that aren't familiar, can you just give us a quick overview of the company? Certainly. Uh, Perimeter Medical Imaging AI is a commercial stage medical device company. Uh, and what we're working on is transforming cancer surgery uh, with ultra-high resolution and real-time advanced imaging tools. And what we're helping surgeons with is something called intraoperative margin assessment. And what that means is in a solid cancer surgery, uh, the surgeon would you know, re surgically remove the tumor from the patient. And the path of care for that patient is that that tumor specimen gets sent to a pathology lab. Uh, and this can take anywhere from two days to up over a week for the pathology lab to confirm that there's no cancer at the edge of that specimen, at the perimeter of the specimen. Uh, if the pathologist finds cancer at the edge, it's called a positive margin. Uh, and in the case of breast lumpectomies, for example, uh, positive margin means that the patient's risk of cancer coming back doubles. Uh, so instead of accepting that risk, the patient would come back for a second, sometimes third operation to remove additional tissue in pursuit of that uh, clear cancer-free margin. Uh, so what Perimeter does is we take that imaging information and put it into the OR in the hands of the surgeon. So the surgeon in real time can see microscopic level resolution of that specimen and see if there's any uh, you know, cancer at the perimeter in real time. So instead of sewing the patient up, sending her home, waiting a week and having to call her to come back, the surgeon can see it during that first operation and take more tissue if, if needed. So a real, uh, you know, a real kind of value driver for the patient, obviously with improved outcomes, the provider and the payer as well, because there's a lot of costs and complications associated with those reoperations. Okay. So what's currently the state of care for that? And then am I right in thinking that if they don't use your system, they have to maybe take out more than necessary? Uh, you are correct. Uh, so there's a couple of different um, standards of care. Uh, so ultimately, at the end of the day, it's what I just described. So the surgical specimen is sent to a pathology lab that checks that specimen after the post-operatively. Uh, you know, in some cases, uh, as you described, there are surgeons who do what is called a routine cavity shave, uh, where, you know, they take out more than is necessary. So they would remove the initial primary lump or tumor, uh, and then just to kind of have insurance that they've removed enough, they would go back into the patient and take a shave from every side of the cavity that was left behind. Uh, you know, unfortunately, that still results in an elevated reoperation rate. Some data would show still kind of 20% reoperation rate, even with those routine cavity shaves. And, but on top of that, it, uh, they, they, it impacts cosmetic outcomes. You have uh, what's called a seroma, so difficult uh, tissue management left behind, and more pain and complications for the for the patient than is necessary. Uh, can sometimes complicate any you know reconstructive procedures that would be done after the fact. 
So you know, a lot of uh, a lot of challenges with that, and ultimately, there isn't a surgeon out there that you know doesn't want to practice precision medicine, and you know, routine cavity shades kind of flies in the face of precision medicine. Uh, and then the other standard of care would be you know, surgeons they have to X-ray the specimen anyways. Uh, so they're x-raying the specimen to check for any retained foreign objects that may have been left behind in the patient. Uh, and one of the body's reactions to cancer is to create little calcium deposits. They're called microcalcifications. Uh, and so some surgeons will use that as a, as a proxy for uh, positive margins. Uh, the problem with that of course, is you're treating a symptom of the disease instead of the actual disease, and the x-ray doesn't really have the level of resolution necessary to show you the actual cancer. So, uh, so still, uh, you know, even with uh, surgeons that have done, you know, the exact right thing where, you know, they remove that specimen, they've cut out the right size that was identified prior to to the operation with MRI, they they have the navigation right in the center of the specimen that they removed. They see no calcifications, but still, 20 to 25 percent of the time, you have those patients coming back for a reoperation. Uh, so that's where perimeter really plugs in and can kind of give the surgeon a level of imaging information that they've never before seen in in the OR and see that microscopic disease instead of relying on symptoms. Very good. And then how big is your addressable market? Yeah, so ultimately, uh, you know, our total addressable market we see is just under $4 billion. Uh, and we have a, you know, a razor, razor blade business model. So that comes from, you know, predictable high margin recurring revenue. Uh, you know, where we're at today is we're focused on about uh, an $800 million breast cancer market primarily. Uh, you know, the technology uh, is cleared for any tissue type already, so we're excited about seeing, you know, what other uh, surgical specialties are interested in, in picking up this technology. But, you know, the largest, most profitable segment for us in, in these early days will definitely be breast, and, and that's where we're focused on today. So, so your device is already through the FDA, is that correct? That is correct. So we uh, are we're commercializing our FDA cleared, what I call our flagship device. So this is uh, the imaging equipment as I've described to this point. Uh, we're actually already moving towards Gen 2, which is very exciting for us because it is, uh, you know, what, so our the device on the market today is called the S-Series, so that stands for Surgery Series because it can be used really on, on any kind of tissue in the surgical suite. But then the, what is in clinical validation at the moment is the B-Series device. And this version includes machine learning and artificial intelligence to interpret the images uh, you know, generated by our equipment. So it's a, you know, an adjunctive tool to help the, the surgeon, in this case, breast-specific surgeon, to interpret those images and see any any parts of that image that might contain breast cancer. So, uh, so FDA cleared on the S series, out there commercializing it today at clinical validation on the B series, which, uh, you know, we expect to submit for a mar- to the FDA for a marketing application, you know, early next year. And that's a 510K as well? 
Uh, we we expect that to be a de novo. So uh, this is new novel technology. Obviously, you know, artificial intelligence uh, is an emerging space. So, but because we're in the you know AI and the imaging space, we feel pretty confident that uh, the path will be a de novo application. Okay, and then will will the second version be an upgrade for those who have purchased in the meantime, or is it just a completely new sale? No, it will be an upgrade. That's correct. So it's really fundamentally the, the most of the change is to the software application. Uh, so it can be done in the field, uh, you know, by our service team to just get it upgraded. Okay. And is this just, um, you know, in terms of IP, are, are there patents or it's just know-how? No, um, a number of patents. So, you know, I think uh, from an intellectual property perspective, you know, at the end of the day, our root root technology is called optical coherence tomography, which, uh, you know, is off-the-shelf technology. It's been around a long time. It is the standard of care in, in fields like ophthalmology and cardiology. Uh, and what we've done, you know, where our intellectual property lies is, uh, you in this new application to it. It's what we call wide field OCT or wide field optical coherence tomography. And, you know, basically what we do is we've created a system to acquire, uh, you know, much larger images than, than what historically would be done, like kind of a hundred times the, the surface area of what the off-the-shelf technology can acquire. Uh, and that really is the the minimum viable product for uh, surgical specimens. So, so we have intellectual property on the wide field OCT. Uh, you know the software to uh, kind of interpolate those images and display the three dimensional images to the surgeon. Uh, but then, actually, from a workflow perspective, there are a number of challenges to try to deal with such a specimen in a, you know, in a way that can retain the clinical decision-making priorities. Uh, so the razor blade side of our equation is a, it's called a single-use consumable that, well, we call it the specimen immobilizer. Uh, and what that does is enables the system to generate the images at a microscopic level without, uh, you know, things like movement artifact or, or any other kinds of distortions to the image that may occur. Uh, and there's actually a, a, a lot of, um, you know, R&D work and intellectual property that went into creating a consumable that could create the images and still um, maintain, you know, not destroy the tissue in any way, shape, or form, maintain appropriate measurements with a, you know, fatty, shapeless piece of tissue like, like a breast lumpectomy. So, and then on the AI, uh, there's... Uh, a number of proprietary. Obviously, we have the only equipment that can create these images today. So, you know, the data itself is proprietary, uh, but then we have that applications on the algorithm and, and that stuff as well. So. Okay. So if I understood you correctly, the machine itself has a general approval. And so you're first going after breast, for example. How do you expand that market in terms of other indications? Is it additional... Uh, clinical trials uh, separate from the AI portion? Uh, that's correct. So we, you're right, we have a general indication. So technically it can already be used. And this is what's really exciting for us, uh, you know, having a beachhead market like breast because uh, we're kind of starting in one of the more challenging markets 
from a image interpretation perspective. But then, uh, you know, there are a number of general surgeons who are the ones performing the, the breast conserving surgeries. So, you know, you may have a, a surgeon that picks it up for breast, but they're also doing pancreatic cancer surgery, for example, and they, you know, there's a, a lot of challenges with positive margins in pancreatic cancer surgery. So they can quickly say, all right, well, show me some data and, and help me, you know, figure out what positive margins look like on this other tissue type. And then they can start picking that up, in, you know, in their, their already existing practice. Uh, so, you know, the that's kind of the entry into the market the same way we've done with breast. But you know, in order to get another artificial intelligence application uh, out in the market, that would go through, uh, you know, another FDA clinical validation study to, to demonstrate the safety and efficacy. Now, that said, uh, we do think uh, that you know, having the the clearance with the breast application, particularly a de novo clearance, should set us up well uh, for being our own predicate device as we think about future applications and accelerating the regulatory path. Okay. Now, do the docs immediately get this, or is there a marketing and challenge and education process? Uh, certainly an education process. Medical education or clinical education for us is, you know, one of our number one commercial priorities. We, uh, you know, this is a, a new imaging modality for surgeons particularly, uh, and they're not, you know, all of them do use a lot of imaging or particularly, you know, kind of grayscale imaging like we present in their practice. So getting them, you know, number one, efficient, but number two, confident with the technology is one of our most important uh, priorities from both an evaluation perspective, but also from a new user onboarding and after-sales support perspective. So, uh, you know, we've been investing in that aspect of our business quite heavily for the last, uh, you know, 12 months or so, and really because this is novel technology, you know, we're creating the really the only expertise in the world uh, that can help train these surgeons. And, you know, so that's really exciting for us internally. And, you know, secondly, I'd say that's why we've taken the commercial strategy that we've had in that, you know, we're focused today on those users that can be the early adopters in this space. Uh, you know, there's 20 to 30 percent of breast surgeons who do use a lot of imaging in their practice, uh, and it's a little easier for them to kind of pick up OCT because it's fairly analogous to ultrasound. We just use light waves instead of sound waves. So, so we're out there building this army, or you know, this uh, we're in the train the trainer phase. So these early adopters can become thought leaders, experts with the technology prior to the AI. Well, then they can become educators and, and then train, you know, the, the other surgeons as the AI really opens up the, the commercialization net for us into the other, you know, 70 to 80% of surgeons that are out there. And the early adopters, are, are they given a machine or, or are they purchasing it? Uh, no, they'll, well, twofold. So we have, uh, you know, a number of surgeons. We expect kind of 15, 16 surgeons participating in the clinical validation study that I talked about earlier. But uh, outside of that, the S-series, early adopters in the S-series device, they are all purchasing it uh, commercially. 
Okay. And, and how much is the equipment uh, and also the consumable? Yeah, so we uh, do not charge the hospital for the equipment up front. So we're, we're, our go-to-market model is a managed solution agreement. So, you know, we don't go to them and line item out the capital, line item out training and service and consumables. We offer them the full margin management solution for $1,000 per procedure. So, you know, from a from an economics perspective, you know, it was pretty important for us to uh, kind of help the hospital by matching their cash outflows with the operational savings and an improved outcomes they'll achieve with our with our technology. So, uh, you know, so they're they're paying a thousand dollars, but then you know the the net benefit is is positive from an economic perspective because uh, those patients who have to come back for a reoperation today are costing, you know, at least $16,000 in additional treatment costs. Uh, and you've got one in four patients coming back for a reoperation. So you're talking an average of $4,000 in hard dollars and cents of potentially avoidable reoperation costs, you know, and that's not including, uh, you know, financial toxicity to the patient from taking time away from work or, you know, all of the other surgical site infections, hospital-acquired conditions, all of the soft costs that go along with that. So, you know, basically, you know, the break-even for a hospital is to reduce their reoperations by 25%. So you take a $4,000 cost, you only have to eliminate, you know, down, you know, one in four to get down to a $3,000 cost, which uh, pays for the equipment there. And, our early data and, you know, historical performance would suggest that hospitals can realize much more than that. Okay. I can see how that can be attractive to them. How about on your side, though? What's the cost of placement? Yeah, for us, um, you know, we, we're targeting, uh, you know, higher volume institutions, those that can kind of help from a utilization perspective to make sure that, uh, you know, we make the best use of our capital. So I'd say in these early days, particularly, we're targeting, you know, under 12-month payback period for any any placement we make. So, uh, you know, an average volume institution could attain that, uh, you know, no problem. Uh, alternatively, we, you know, this kind of a business model is pretty common in the medical device space. So I think, you know, if we uh, you know, need to, to work on managing our working capital a little bit better from that perspective. There's, you know, leasing arrangements and, and white label lease arrangements that we can take to the hospital to, you know, kind of help manage the upfront cost of the capital equipment today. But, uh, you know, for the time being, we, you know, we're holding those on our balance sheet and we want to make sure we're white gloving those hospitals and, and driving utilization to the maximum extent possible. Okay, and then in terms of runway, um, do you have the cash, you know, for over the next year to uh, to meet your plan? Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, so, uh, you know, thrilled uh, that we were able to close uh, private placement when we did. So we announced uh, in January that we closed about a 50 million CAD private placement, uh, which was led by about 43 million from a group called Social Capital. Uh, so great, you know, institutional fund, uh, very, very, you know, smart money, I'd say, in the story. And 
uh, have been great to kind of partner with us. So they're, you know, they're not just another shareholder on the cap table. They're, they're great partners in helping us as we're really getting this AI application off the ground, particularly. Uh, so thrilled about that. And, you know, if you look at, we, you know, not too long ago announced our uh, full year 2021 results. Uh, and, you know, we burned about $16 million in cash in 2021. So, uh, you know, feeling really good about where we're at from a balance sheet and, and runway perspective on the back of that $50 million private placement. Good. And then so initially, is this just U.S. or Canada or, or where? Uh, it is just U.S. initially. Uh, so from a you know geographic expansion perspective, it was pretty important for us to get the uh, AI indication behind us. So we're focused on getting you know the AI cleared by the FDA, uh, and with the combination of the S series and B series, you know country of origin clearance in the U.S. will uh, will look to expand geographically. I think you know from a you know, target market perspective, uh, you could think, you know, I'd call it kind of the classic medical device markets for us, you know, Western Europe, uh, Japan, Australia would be right in our wheelhouse and they have, you know, similar dynamics from, uh, you know, breast cancer treatment and, and breast surgery, uh, you know, patient pop, you know, patient mix and, and those kinds of things. So looking at that and putting all the pieces of the puzzle together today to make sure we've got the right foundation to, to go international. Okay. And then are you making this yourself or outsourcing it? No, we've outsourced uh, our manufacturing process. So we have a contract manufacturer based out of St. Paul, Minnesota, which is, uh, the name is Minitronics Medical, uh, great uh, large, uh, you know, medical device manufacturer, which uh, in today's state of the state has been a, a real, a real win for us, real tailwind. So, you know, much larger scale than us as we're, you know, fighting for things like chips and and supply and shipping issues and those kinds of things. They've been able to, you know, leverage their scale a little bit to help us and. Really, uh, you know, it's been uh, a very capital efficient, you know, model to get us scaling up quickly and, uh, you know, meet the growth needs that we're anticipating. Okay. So what's the biggest gating factor inhibiting growth? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, probably a little bit about what I what I spoke about earlier or what you asked about earlier, the you know, customer confidence in being able to pick up this new technology is, um, you know, we want to make sure that uh, they're ready because this actually is a space that folks have been focused on for quite a while. There have been some, uh, you know, lesser technologies out there that uh, didn't work. So, you know, we've got a, a customer base that's out there a little apprehensive about um, picking up new technology on that, and we want to make sure they feel good and confident with the technology, which is why we've been making the med- medical education investments that I talked about, and why pretty early on we focused on, uh, you know, artificial intelligence and its incorporation into the technology to to really catalyze, uh, you know, more widespread adoption from that perspective. Uh, and then, yeah, I think uh, you know, for us, uh, another you know, big catalyst down the road would be shifts in the reimbursement model. So 
Uh, today, you know, we don't yet have bundled payments or capitated payments in, you know, breast conserving surgeries, but, you know, CMS is looking at it and looking at the cost of uh, lumpectomies, and, you know, we would expect that there, you know, it's a big problem, a big expensive problem that their patient population is dealing with. So, uh, you know, we would expect eventually getting some financial incentives as well to really drive that home in addition to everything I described earlier from a cost avoidance perspective. So am I right in thinking that the machine learning, once that's available, is that's going to be a big driver for you? Definitely. You are, you are correct. So the way I describe that uh, is, you know, if you can think of the normal medical device adoption curve, you know, you have your early adopters and, you know, then they kind of train their residents and fellows on the technology and then they train their fellows and that's how you you get, you know, widespread adoption. Well, for us, we think that the AI can leapfrog some of that process uh, so that, uh, you know, it's you, you don't have to learn the technology as a fellow because the AI helps you enough to where you can feel comfortable inserting it into your workflow, you know, in, you know later in your career. So, uh, so that's one of the things we, we like to think that it's kind of cutting off, you know, a good five to 10 years of the overall kind of life cycle of adoption. Okay. So as we look out over the next 12 months and monitor you, um, what are the events and kind of the timeline? Now you mentioned a couple of things, but if you could put it into a nice timeline for us, that'd be great. Certainly. I think, uh, you know, we, at our year-end results, we uh, we also announced our 2022, uh, you know, installation guidance. So from a commercial perspective, we announced that we expect another 15 to 20 units to be installed this year, which, uh, you know, we're really excited about. So I'd say, you know, watching for continued quarter after quarter progress commercially, you know, in improving, you know, fundamentals in the organization quarter after quarter from that perspective uh, can show confidence that we're doing the right thing and building the right funnel for when the AI comes. Uh, continued uh, patient enrollment and site, getting new sites up and running and all of that stuff. So we, you know, we're targeting having our patient enrollment completed by the end of the year this year. So, you know, that's really positive news as we, you know, look to kind of price in the the likelihood of the AI being cleared. Uh, and then lastly, I'd say, you know, 2022 for us is a year where we, you know, really should start seeing the rest of the TAM, you know, us start to move into the rest of the TAM. So, uh, you know, I'd be on the lookout for either some feasibility work or clinical studies around other tissue types or other parts of the workflow that, uh, can really, you know, help you understand the direction that R&D is moving from a product development perspective. Okay. Anything you'd like to leave us with? Uh, no, I just think, uh, you know, thanks for giving me the opportunity to come, uh, you know, give an update. Uh, we, you know, we're really excited about where 2022 is at and looking forward to the back half of the year. And, you know, I think, uh, commercially, both commercially and from a clinical study perspective, we've got a uh, customer base and an investigator base that's super excited to be working with, tech, with this technology, and we're 
uh, you know, excited about getting it in the hands of more surgeons to be impacting patients' lives and helping them avoid all of the trauma and, and challenges that go around with needing two surgeries when it could be done with one. So. Very good. Well, Jeremy, thanks for sharing the perimeter story. You got it. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it.